Let's open our Bibles to the book of Judges this evening, Judges chapter number 3. <clears throat> Several weeks ago, we, we started a, a journey through the book of Judges and took us about three weeks to cover chapter number 2. And it'll probably take three weeks to get chapter number three down, too, because there are actually three different judges whose stories are found in this chapter. I don't anticipate it taking that long to go through the whole book, uh, but uh, for our purposes tonight, we're going to be looking in Judges chapter three, verses one through 11. And this, the title of the message tonight is simply the story of Othniel. Othniel sounds like funny name, but uh, he was the very first of the judges. Judge, judges chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 3 and verse number 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. Namely, five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and, all, and the Sidonians and the Hivites that dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal-Hermon unto the entering in of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, and Amorites, and Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives, and gave their daughters to their sons, and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, and served Balaam and the groves. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Chushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Chushan Rishathaim eight years. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Chushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against Chushan Rishathaim. And the land had rest forty years." And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that we would learn from this story in the book of Judges tonight the importance of being faithful to you and the importance of not living in our own strength, but relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. That, Lord, you would be glorified by our lives. So Lord, teach us what we need to know and show us how we need to change so that we might be more like our Savior, who even though He is God the Son, still went forth in the power of the Spirit to do the work that You called Him to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
As we begin in Judges chapter 3 now, we are starting the actual Judges portion of the book of Judges. Chapters 1 and 2 and even the early verses of chapter 3 are very much introductory to what is going on in the whole book. Now remember in chapter number 2, we found that the Lord had given a special message to the Israelites and that message was one of rebuke. They had not obeyed the Lord and they had not driven out all of the inhabitants of the land as God had commanded them. And so because they had not obeyed God, God said, I'm not going to drive them out for you. I'm going to leave them there. They're going to be a constant source of irritation, but through them, I will prove you. Every successive generation will have to deal with the influence of the Canaanites that you chose to leave there. And by so doing, it will reveal where their heart really is. And so when we come to chapter 3, God gives us a, a recap of that, a list of the particular nations and the people groups that God left. Um, talks about the five lords of the Philistines in verse number 3. And then you have all of those ites. You have the Canaanites down in verse number 5. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Mosquitoites. And uh, you have all of those listed there. These were the inhabitants of the land that the Israelites failed to drive out. So it kind of is important at this juncture to realize that we're not just talking about one city that they failed uh, to drive out or one people group that they failed to drive out, but these were this was actually a systemic problem throughout the whole nation. There were people scattered all over the land of Israel that were the Canaanites that God had told them to drive out, the Israelites to drive them out, but they didn't. And so we come to verse number 5 or verse number 6 rather, and we find the first left turn, if you will, that the Israelites took. It says that they took their daughters to be their wives, and they gave their daughters to their sons. And it began, the, the, uh, the downward slide of the Israelites began with these marriages between the Israelites and the heathen people that lived around them. Now, we're not going to re-preach everything that we, we've talked about in the weeks past, but just to remind you, God had specifically prohibited the Israelites from entering into marriages with the heathen foreigners around them. And by the way, this had nothing to do with ethnicity. This had everything to do with the religion of those people. It wasn't because they had a different language. It wasn't because they maybe had a different skin tone. It wasn't any of that. It was because they worshipped false gods. God was very clear. I don't want you to marry them because if, if you intermarry with them, then they will draw your heart away and you will end up serving their gods. Well, in verse number 6, the Israelites completely disregarded that instruction. They began to let their sons marry their daughters, to give their daughters to marry their sons. Now, why they did this, we can only speculate. Maybe it was for money. Maybe it was just because they thought that they were nice people. Maybe it was because those were some pretty handsome boys over there. It doesn't matter really what the reason was. It was a sin. They violated God's law by doing this. 
It's not unlike what we find in the New Testament when God says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath light with darkness? And what communion hath the body of Christ with Belial? You know, as believers, it holds true that we are to be separate from the world around us. And listen to me, young people especially. Even the youngest of our young people here. One day, you're probably going to get married. And when you get to that point in your life where you're looking for a spouse, you know, when you're 45, 50, something like that. As a Christian, the only candidates for a husband and wife are other Christians. If you want to do it biblically, biblically, that's the only way to do it. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And so they entered into these unequal yokes. And notice what the end of verse number 6 says. And served their gods. Exactly what God said would happen, happened. God said, if you marry them, you'll end up serving their gods. And sure enough, within one generation, that's exactly what happened. But it gets worse. It says that the children of Israel, verse 7, did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. This was not just a casual religious affiliation. They became devoted to idolatry. When it says that they served Balaam and the groves, I, I cannot go into detail publicly about what all this entailed, but it is talking about the worst kind of false worship possible, including human sacrifice. There were other things that were involved that were vile and that were an abomination, but they would even offer their own children as sacrifices in the worship of their God, their false God. You know, some people, we met a man today on visitation and uh, we asked him if he went to church anywhere, and I'd never heard someone respond like this. His, his answer was, we have not formed a religious preference yet, or something to that effect. We don't have a religious preference yet, is what he said. And I thought, that's an interesting answer. I've never heard it that way before. Uh, very polite, but very also, I'm not really interested, was the idea, of course. He's just kind of neutral. Please understand, that is not how the Israelites were. They were actively involved in the worship of false gods in the most horrible ways imaginable. They participated in the most heinous of heathen practices. And all of this is within the first generation of Joshua's passing. How do we know this? Well, we'll get to it in just a minute when we talk about Othniel's heritage. But uh, when you look at the chronology here... It was. This is not very long after Joshua and the elders that served with him had passed off the scene. We don't know exactly. Maybe it was 20 years. Maybe it was 30 years. Maybe it was upwards of 40 years. But it was in within that first generation. And so because they had turned from God, they forsook the Lord, they followed Baal, they forgot God, our passage says here. The Bible says... Verse 8, therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. God was filled with righteous anger at His people. Righteous 
anger because they had disobeyed him and they had done so in the worst way possible. And so, because God is true to his word and he had previously warned them, if you turn from me to follow God's, I will send foreign armies in to invade and to oppress you so that you will learn not to worship false gods and to be faithful to me. God was true to his word. And God raised up a certain king whose name is very hard to pronounce. Chushan Rishathaim. And this was a king of Mesopotamia, a region there, uh, probably uh, kind of in the northern area, region of of, uh, uh, northwestern, if you will, from, from Israel. But he came up and he began to oppress the Israelites. He conquered them. And it says that in verse number 8, that the Lord sold them into the hand of Chushan Rishathaim. Now, if you remember, when we looked at that idea of being sold into their hand, this is a complete reversal of circumstances now, because God previously had redeemed the Israelites out of Egypt, but now He is selling them back into slavery, as it were. He's selling them into the oppression of this king, Chushan Rishathaim. And the Bible says that they served Chushan Rishathaim eight years. Eight years. Now, when you read through that, you might be tempted to think that that's just an interesting little fact. But wait a minute, stop it. Think about this. Eight years. That's a pretty long time to be under the rule of someone. Go back in, in recent presidential history. All right, who was the last president to serve for eight years? Barack Obama. You remember those eight years? Okay, prior to that, we had eight years of, uh, of Bush. Prior to that, we had eight years of Clinton. You think about those administrations, and you begin to realize that's, that's a pretty good length of time. And here's the thing, is they served this guy for eight years, continuing to do what they had done before. For eight years, they were living under the thumb of this king whose name's almost impossible to pronounce. Chushan Rishathaim. And they never, during that eight years, apparently, they never repented and got right with God. But then finally, the day came when they'd had enough. The Bible says, verse number 9, When the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them. Notice what happened here. For eight years, they persisted in stubbornness and rebellion. For eight years, they continued to follow Baal, and they continued to worship in the groves, and they continued all of those horrible practices that they were doing. For eight years before they finally woke up and said, we need to stop this. Life is horrible. And this is why we have forsaken the Lord. We need to get right with God. And they cried unto the Lord. And the Bible says, I love this, that when they cried, the Lord heard. Let me ask you a question. If someone who was a very dear friend of yours, or maybe a close family member, got mad at you and ignored you for eight years, every time you called, They sent your call to the voicemail. They never responded to a text. If you saw them out and about, they turned around and they walked the other way. 
For eight years they did this to you. And all of a sudden your phone rings one day and you look at the caller ID and it's them. What's your first response? Oh, goody. I'm so glad they're finally calling me. Maybe if you're a very spiritual person, that'll be your response. But if you're like me, that's not your response. You're thinking, oh, finally. I wonder what they want. Eight years, they haven't said a word to me. Eight years, they've ignored me. Eight years, they've acted like I was a total stranger, and now they're calling me? Huh. I'm so glad God is not like that. Eight years that they had more than that, but in this particular time frame, they had persisted in rebellion, but yet when they cried unto the Lord, the Lord heard. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is patient. God is willing to wait however long it takes for you and I to respond to His loving chastisement and to repent. And when we finally do, He is right there waiting for us when we repent. They cried unto the Lord, and the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel, who delivered them, and here is his name, verse number 9 again, even Othniel the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And here we are, we are introduced to the very first judge of Israel. He was given to Israel because God did not give up on them. He put up with their rebellion until he finally chastised them through Chushan Rishathaim. And for eight years they persisted, but God did not give up on them because God never gives up on His children. They cried unto Him, and so God raised up a deliverer, this fellow by the name of Othniel. Now, who is Othniel? We're told a little bit about him here to identify specifically who he is. He is a guy by the name of Othniel who is actually a relative of Caleb from the book of Joshua. And so let's turn back to the book of Joshua, chapter 15, and let's see a little bit of his backstory here. I think this is, this is very important to the, to the point of the message tonight, to understand who this guy was. Joshua, chapter 15, is recording the story of Caleb conquering and, and receiving the land that God had promised him. Remember, you know, that famous saying, I want that mountain, you know. Here he was, an old guy, Caleb was, and, uh, but yet he was still full of vigor and strength and he wanted to, wanted to receive the promise that God had given him. And so the Bible says that Joshua said, well, you want it? Go get it. That's the, uh, the southern version of it, eh? And so verse 15 of Joshua 15 he went up thence to the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir before was Kirjath-Sephir. And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kirjath-Sephir and taketh it, to him will I give Aksa, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave Aksa, his daughter, to wife. And here's our first introduction to Othniel. So what do we know about him? Well, he's identified a couple of times as Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb. Now, it looks like, and in the most likely case here, is that Othniel was actually Caleb's younger brother. It could possibly be that he is Caleb's nephew. But at any rate, he's a close relative of Caleb. And in this particular instance, Caleb said, here's this city, Kirjath-Sephir. 
It's a part of what I want. But I'm busy over here. Somebody go get it for me. Oh, and if you conquer that city, I'll let you marry my daughter. Now, aren't you glad, young ladies in here, that that's not how we do things today? Yeah. Aren't you glad? Lucy's shaking her head like, yes. Yes, I'm so glad. But that's what he said. Hey, you go get that city, and, uh, and, uh, and I'll give you my daughter to marry. And so this guy, Othniel, steps up and says, I'll do it. Now, remember the relation here. This means that Achsah was either Othniel's cousin or niece. We're not quite sure the relation, but it's pretty close. So apparently, the Old Testament Jews had a lot in common with modern-day West Virginians. But anyway, it's a joke. It's a joke. This was a close relative. It's a little bit different in Bible times, but I don't, and I don't know what all the dynamics were here, if there was already something going on between these two young people, but it was Othniel who stood up and said, I'll do it. And sure enough, he went up and he led the charge and uh, he was instrumental in the conquering of this town. And so Caleb said, all right, you did it, buddy. Here's your prize. You get to marry my daughter. Now, why is this story important about Othniel? Because when we come to Judges chapter 3, this is a, a little while later. This is, I mean, realistically, it could be 30 or 40 years later. We don't know exactly the timeline here, but it's, it's been a little while. But it's significant because Othniel has already distinguished himself as a man of, of courage and a man of skill. And to some measure, he's already become famous. His story, after all, is included in the book of Joshua. People would have known who he was. Now, with some of these others of the judges that we'll see, we really don't know anything about them. Uh, we're going to, in a couple of weeks, Lord willing, we'll talk about Shamgar. We don't know a thing about him except he had a big stick and he killed a bunch of people with it. <laughs> But Othniel, we do know something about him. He was, he was the relative of Caleb who had conquered this city and had risen to at least a certain measure of fame. And this was the guy that God raised up to deliver Israel. But there's something very important in this passage that we cannot overlook. Verse number 9 says that God um, raised up this deliverer, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. But notice verse 10. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel, and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Shushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against Shushan Rishathaim. You see, Othniel was already known for being courageous, being famous, but he did not become a judge of Israel. He did not accomplish what God's will was for him ultimately until the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. In your Bibles, in, in fact, I would encourage you, maybe underline that first phrase of chapter uh, 3, verse 10, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Here's the point that I want to really draw out tonight, is Othniel could not do what he needed to do in his own strength. He had to have the Spirit of the Lord to be able to do it. That was what made all the difference. He was famous, he was courageous, he was influential, but he never delivered Israel until the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He had to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, so often we put a premium on things like 
how famous a person is. Or, uh, you know, what, what, what are their past accomplishments? And we think, well, you know, if they've done great things in the past, you know, and everybody knows about it, and they're obviously, they've built a name for themselves, well, then they must be qualified to do this next great work. And listen, Christians are not immune to that. We think because a person simply is well-known across the country in Christian circles that, well, then they obviously must have the power of God on them. Not always. In fact, some people are very famous, and it's very obvious when you look at their lives and you hear the things that they say, that the power of God is not on them because they're preaching heresy and they're living a life of wickedness. Being famous does not mean that you are called of God, that you're doing the will of God, or that you have the power of God on your life. We need to be careful of that. There's a lot of people today that are well-known, and they, uh, they have maybe TV shows, radio programs, they publish a lot of books. Don't just assume that everything they say and do is gospel truth and right. Be careful. Don't fall into that trap of man worship. Because a person may have all the might, humanly speaking, and they may have all the power, humanly speaking, but if they do not have the Holy Spirit working through them, He may reside in them, but if He's not working through them, then whatever they're doing is for vain glory, and it's worthless. Turn to the book of Zechariah, if you would. Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah is one of those little minor prophet books toward the end of the Old Testament there. Zechariah chapter 4. Then he answered, look at verse number 6, Zechariah 4, 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. This was a completely different context. Zerubbabel was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and faced with all kinds of challenges. God was saying to him, Hey, don't worry about the enemy. Don't worry about whether or not you have enough human strength, resources to do it, because it's not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by my Spirit. And that is the same lesson that we see illustrated in Othniel's life. Yes, he was a powerful and influential guy already, but he never became a judge of Israel until the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. It was only then that he was able to stand against Chushan Rishathaim and drive him out of the land. It was only then that he was able to judge Israel and to lead them to war and to deliver them. He had to have the Holy Spirit in order to do that. His job was a big job. He was called to judge Israel. That, among other things, meant to lead them spiritually in a positive direction. And for a time, he was able to stop their slide, halt their slide into further idolatry. But he was also to lead them militarily to fight against this foreign king and to drive him out. And because the Lord was with him, God gave him victory. It says that the Lord delivered Chushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand and his hand prevailed. God did that. It wasn't because... He had so much experience fighting battles in the past, though he had that. 
And I'm certain that God drew upon that for him, but it was because God supernaturally enabled him that he was able to do it. I think another great example, example of this is the story of David when he faced off against Goliath. You remember the story. He went down to the brook and he got five smooth stones. And he went out there to the field to face off against Goliath. Goliath mocked him. And what did David do? He just calmly put a stone in the sling, whirled that thing around his head, let it go, and like a sniper of modern-day military, that rock went right to Goliath's forehead. Now, did that happen because of David's skill or because of God's enabling? Yes. David, I know, was skilled in the use of that sling. He knew what he was doing. The Bible talks about the men in the tribe of Benjamin who could sling a stone at a hair's breadth. There were a lot of men who were really good at that sling. But David was not relying on his skill. He told Saul, it was the Lord that delivered the lion and the bear into my hand, and the same Lord will deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hands. Yes, he had skill. Yes, he had might and power. But that's not what he was depending on. And yes, Othniel had skill and he had fame and he had courage. But it was because he had the Spirit of God that he was able to do God's will for his life. He went out to war and the Lord delivered. And because of that, they achieved political freedom once again and they enjoyed national peace. In fact, it tells us that for 40 years the land rested. For 40 years. That's pretty significant. That means a whole generation was able to enjoy a time of peace because of what Othniel did. And really, this is in a lot of ways setting the tone for the book of Judges because none of the judges were able to do what they did in their own strength. And man, the story of Samson really, really points that out. Because Samson, the world's strongest strong man, right? I mean, when it comes to natural strength, he is the epitome. Yet... He failed. And he only was able to do what he did do because the Lord enabled him to do it. And the lesson that we learn from Othniel is simply this. We cannot do what God wants us to do in our own strength. We must depend on the Lord. I'm so thankful there's a big difference between New Testament Christians and and Old Testament believers because... Um, as New Testament Christians, we have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you, never to leave again. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit operated a little differently. He came and went at times on different people for different things. It was much more task-oriented, if you will. But now, we don't, we don't have to worry about that, I guess you might say. We don't have to think about that because the Holy Spirit is always with us. And that means we can always have the ability to do what God wants us to do. Whatever it is, whatever we're talking about, whatever whether we're talking about being the kind of husband or the kind of parent that God wants us to be or or being a good witness for Him or simply just resisting temptation, whatever the, the struggle is, we have the power to do it, not in our own strength, but through the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6.10 tells us, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, 
judged Israel in the power of the Holy Spirit. And whatever God calls us to do, we must also learn to depend on Him for the power to do it. I leave you with one more verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.24, a verse that means so much to me. The Lord says, Faithful is He who calleth you, who also will do it. Has God called you to do something? If He has, then know this, He's also promised to do it through you. It's not up to you to perform. It's not up to you to find the strength and to somehow achieve greatness for God. It is simply up to you to submit to the Holy Spirit and let God work through you. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can accomplish God's will for your life. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow before you this evening, we pause to give thanks for the indwelling Holy Spirit. What a wonderful thing it is to know that when we trusted Christ, you came to live in us. And that through the Holy Spirit, we have the power that we need to do what you've called us to do. So Lord, help us to rely on your strength and your strength alone. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.